the Arts Report, award-winning fringe show Fish Face is back at the Kulch. Cantonese opera fused with Western theater to explore BC history in Jade in the Coal. And former CBC radio host Arthur Black compares Salt Spring Island to North Korea ahead of his new book, A Chip Off the Old Black. Uh, plus a lot more and free tickets to the books. So stay with us. Hey, welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, as well as CITR.ca on the interwebs and via iTunes and other providers as a podcast, which you can also get on CITR.ca. Uh, my name is Adam Janusz, and it is December 1st, uh, the 1st of December, a few weeks away from Christmas. It's already the last month of the year. I don't know how that happened. But, uh, but this year has gone by incredibly fast. We did uh, the fun drive in the last couple of shows, as you may recall, the uh, constant drone of, please give us money, <laughs> please. And, um, and it seems like you, you listened. And uh, we raised over $26,000. So that's, uh, that's huge. It's not quite our, our goal of 30000 but hey, uh, we'll happily take twenty six grand um, from lovely listeners such as yourself. So if you donated, thanks very much. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, and we had a lovely, there was a lovely uh, finale show uh, last Thursday uh, doing 90s covers. And that was, that was a lot of fun times. So uh, that was good. Uh, we've got lots on the show for you today, and I'll tell you about that later. But first, I want to tell you about a story that I came across in the New York Times called Spider-Man Takes Off with Some Bumps about a new musical called Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, that just had a preview performance on Broadway where things went, well, not so well on this preview performance. For example, they had to go into intermission before the end of the first act because Spider-Man got stuck hanging 10 feet above the audience, an audience of 1,900 people, mind you, who, by the way, waited an extra 20 minutes after the supposed uh, start time of the show, um, waiting 20 minutes just for the show to start, that is. Now, the production of this show has been in the works for nine years, spearheaded by Bono and The Edge from U2. They wrote the score, and they recruited the director, Julie Taymor, who previously did the uh, hugely successful Lion King musical. Um, so there was obviously a lot of attention on this production, more than a typical Broadway show, um, especially after all the rumors of extravagant special, special effects, and then uh, after all the delays that they had of starting the show. Um, it's one of the most technically ambitious shows ever staged on Broadway, with Spider-Man, uh, you know, naturally, as you might expect, supposed to fly all over the stage, and even supposed to fly all over the, uh, into the, above the audience. But half an hour into the show, with a lot of the rumored stunts not having happened, uh, this happened, and I'm quoting here from the, the New York Times, Spider-Man had just flown and landed on stage with the musical's heroine, Mary Jane Watson, in his arms. He was then supposed to zoom off toward the balcony seating area a few hundred feet away. Instead, a harness and cables lifted Spider-Man several yards up and over the audience, and then stopped. A production stage manager, C. Randall White, called for a halt to the show over the sound system, apparently in hopes of fixing and redoing the stunt. Crew members standing on the stage spent 45 seconds trying to grab Spider-Man by the foot as the audience laughed and ooed. Then they finally, when they finally caught him, Mr. White announced intermission, and the house lights came on. 
And why, you ask, was this show so glitchy? Well, in a word, money. The production cost $65 million. And the delay in the opening of the show was costing the team $4 bucks. So the producers said, that's it. No more rehearsals. We're bringing people in. On with the show. And thus, Spider-Man was left hanging. Yeah. Quite sad. But anyway, on, uh, on with the show. Uh, that was from the New York Times, by the way, if you want to read the full article uh, with more details about uh, the hijinks that happened uh, and the booing. And the booing and the shouting and that happened in the show. Anyway, uh, on today's uh, show, uh, we'll, ta- we'll tell you about a local company that went, a local theater company that went to China to find the best Cantonese opera troops to tell their story of a bustling mining town in BC in the early 1900s. It's called Jade in the Coal. Um, what else can I tell you about? Art support correspondent Elena Metz went down to Western Front, that's the uh, artist-run center near uh, Main Street, to interview the inhabitants, which is a band, ahead of their show. Uh, they'll be playing a show at the Media Club soon. Um, and instead of, uh, instead of a music accompanying a film, you know, like a film soundtrack, artist Jason Zampano decided his music would be the feature and film could be his video track. Instead of, instead of a soundtrack. Get it? Anyway, but first, Fish Face. A unique award from the Kulch allows one fringe festival play to come back to life with a run at the Kulch. It's called the Cultivating the Fringe Award. And it offers mentorship, access to professional technicians, and a chance to just retouch and retool the play. The 2009 winning show, Fish Face, has had such opportunities and is now ready to roll for audiences. Jeanette Moore is the writer and performer of this one-woman show, and here she is giving us a quick description of uh, Fish Face. A fish face tells the story of a young woman who journeys into a vivid underwater universe to battle a giant sea monster and confront her destiny. Oh, is that all? That's that's <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. And it's, uh, a, it's a solo show. Yeah. Uh, and it incorporates dance and puppetry and music, uh, with original uh, sound design that we're we're working on as well. And and why did you want to incorporate things like uh, like puppetry and what does that add to the show? Well, I, I mean, I think it adds. I, I play about eight different characters, mm-hmm. so with with the element of of puppetry, um, I'm able to uh, to really manipulate the the costumes and the set and the space and and and, I, and I'm fascinated by puppetry actually too. So yeah. I re- I really enjoy working working with that. Well, tell me about that. Why what is so fascinating about pu- puppetry? Um. I actually did a, a, a puppetry intensive at the Banff Center for the Arts mm-hmm. um, last year, and uh, I just I kind of fell in love with puppets. They're they're just incredible in in their you know design and and the way they can be manipulated. Yeah. Hmm. Now, okay, so this show is is sort of uh, revived. It's back after. Is it last year's Fringe? Yeah, the 2009 Fringe. It mm-hmm. won the Cultivating the Fringe Award. Yeah, so tell me what that's what has that uh, done for for the show? What did that uh, allow uh, in terms of the production, in terms of its uh, sort of its evolution? Uh, it's afforded uh, afforded us a great collaboration with um, uh, a lighting designer from uh, from Vancouver, um, a, a Ray Moschuk, and uh, and a really great sound des- uh, sound designer and compos- uh, composition. Um, from David 
Philadelphia mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and a stage management team and four weeks of, of residency at the Culture Theater, which is which is such a gift yeah. uh, to an artist to have that time and space to you know work and collaborate. It's amazing amount you know the, the amount that we can achieve with uh, with that intense mm-hmm. kind of concentration on one piece. Yeah, and can you give me an example of uh, of how that has sort of manifested in Fish Face? Definitely, our, our our script is better. Like I think, mm-hmm. um, we <laughs> we have to kind of cut out the fat and and really uh, you know uh, enhance the the main character's journey. Yep. But it's more adventurous, more exciting. Um, so we had our first week of, of really looking at the script and and how we can um, strengthen that. Mm-hmm. And then our and our second week was uh, was was you know kind of developing the production elements, the set, the costumes, the design. Um, and this week has been all about um, incorporating the sound and, and lights to create like a, a great, you know, kind of movie score underneath the, the whole piece. <laughs> now, would you say this is a, a show just for kids? No, I would say it's definitely for, for adults and kids. There's a fantasy, um, you know, it's, it, it is a fantasy, so... There are, there are lots of great comedic moments and, and fantasy elements that kids can you know relate to and will enjoy. But then there's also um, I think a lot that adults can get out of it too because it's it's about um, this woman who is you know about to get married and uh, has a you know major fear of commitment and has to you know learn how to say goodbye to someone so that she can move on with her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, break legs and uh, thanks for telling us about it. Today. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. And that's Jeanette Moore talking about Fish Face, which is playing at The Culch from December 3rd until the 5th. Um, Let's see. uh, It's uh, Friday and Saturday. It's on at 7 p.m. And then on the weekend, uh, on Saturday and Sunday, there will also be a 2 p.m. matinee. Uh, Yep. And you can get more information on that by going to tickets.com tickets.thecouch.com excuse me or you could just go to citr.ca and you can find links to all of the features that we will have on the show today so uh, stay with us we're going to take a quick break but when we return we'll tell you about uh, Arthur Black's new book called A Chip Off the Old Black and a little bit later we will also uh, play a tune and give tickets away to the books uh, the New York band The Books uh, is coming to the Vogue. So uh, we'll give you a couple of tickets. So uh, stay with us for that. CITR would like to thank everyone who made a donation during Fun Drive 2010. Without your support, our little station would not be able to keep producing amazing volunteer-powered radio. Radio that strives to do something different. Who introduce you to your new favorite song, your new favorite band, your new favorite sound. By harnessing the power of dozens of volunteer hosts as diverse as the programming they are dedicated to creating, we aim to give you something completely unique, and we could not do it without you. You are simply the best. CITR listeners, better than all the rest. And we're back on the Arts Report. Host of CBC's Basic Black from 1983 until 2002 and three-time winner of the Stephen Leacock Medal for Humor, 
Arthur Black is back with a new book offering a humorous look at the world's marvels and foibles called A Chip Off the Old Black. I reached Arthur via telephone at his house on Salt Spring Island and we talked about humor as a way to stay engaged in an often depressing world. And he explains how Salt Spring is like a miniature North Korea. But first, here's Arthur talking about the format of his book, Short Essays, and why he loves it. It's it's kind of a reflection of, of the the way I think. You know, I, I get up in the morning and, I, and, and I've got two or three things buzzing around in my head. And um, I, as often as not, I can put them together and, and then write a column for it. And that's, it's, it's just whatever, whatever, you know, confronts me from day to day. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you were here, or you were going to be here in Vancouver last week, but uh, <laughs> yeah. there was a, a certain snowstorm that, uh, that blocked you. Yeah, the fates are conspiring to keep me on Salt Spring. I've tried twice to get to, to the, the church and do a reading, and uh, both times have been either I was fogged out the first time and snowed out the second time. Wow. Why, why is God doing this? I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's nothing personal, I hope. But uh, anyway, we're, we're going we're gonna to reschedule when the weather gets a little less dodgy. That's great. Um, now, uh, I just had a look at your, your website, and you were, and you were talking about, uh, about smoking. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that in the book? Uh, no, that's a, that's an older piece. That's that's uh, that's back a fair ways, I think. Actually, I, I really must, mm-hmm. must uh, dust up my website sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, but I was a smoker for many years, and and uh, and I went through the usual uh, withdrawal where I was cranky, and then 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 when I got uh, super churchy about the whole thing because I was <laughs> successful. <laughs> you got churchy. What does that mean? Well, just churchy. You know, I got I got real. Pro- I, I preached a lot, and I, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of sniffed at people when they smoked. Do you, do you still do that? No, I think I've, I think I, I remember how hard how hard it is to stop smoking. So I I, I don't uh, I try to keep that out of my my behavior. Huh. Now um, I have a random question for you. As someone who you know likes to sort of keep an eye on everything in the world and and, and have a have a comment on it, I, I was saying to a colleague here at the radio that you know does does anything matter anymore? Like you know, there's a situation in in Korea where it seems a, a war uh, is breaking out. And um, and it just it, it seems so so far away, and it seems so easy to to um, just not pay attention. What I know think? what you mean, Adam. I I, and I know exactly what what you're talking about because and it scares me because we we're bombarded with stuff that uh, you know most newscasts, radio, TV, or or newspaper. Ninety nine percent of the stuff is is stuff that will make us feel bad, but there's nothing we can do about it. We mm. I can't do anything about Kim Jong Il <laughs> exactly you know, in Korea. But he bums me out just the same. So I don't know. I I I find that personally, when I'm when I look at the news, the stuff that really moves me tends to be on page 38 of the newspaper. You know, it's, <laughs> a, it's like right above the truss ads where it says something like "Man eats airplane in Colombia." That's the story I want to know. I can I can relate to that somehow. And and I guess maybe that's the answer. Is is, is it to to deal with these? Because I guess uh, people don't watch the news or they don't want to pay attention because it's um, because of that sense of powerlessness and and just that. That that sort of depressing aspect of the news, you know, that people are dying and planes yeah. are crashing, yeah. wars are starting, and so do you think maybe finding a, a, the sort of humorous approach is a way to still pay attention to the world and not be, you know, ignorant, but still keep your sanity? It kind of helps me. Uh, I, I also think that I think there's an old saying about about uh, cultivating your own garden. You know, like uh, that's about all you can handle is is the, is the twelve square feet right around you. And <laughs> other, uh, the, the, the the news from 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 Pakistan, the news from from Korea. All that stuff kind of—it's cumulative and it's brutalizing at the same time. Like it just—I find myself not caring, like you said. You, yeah. You, you can't. You, how much compassion can you have? Exactly. You know, it's, 
it's just a great festering wound out there if you if you think about it. Yeah. And I wonder about your your little neck of the woods. You're on Salt Spring Island, is that right? Yes. Yeah. And does does that give you sort of a, a certain maybe a, a detachment or or you know like you were saying about being preachy? Uh, does it allow you to be be sort of preachy about the world? Well. It's interesting because you'd think it would. You'd think it would be kind of idyllic and bucolic and all yeah. those, those nice words. But, in fact, it's just a microcosm of, of North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, uh, we have all the, you know, all the, all the same, same emotions uh, run rampant over here, and, and there's, there's all the petty squabbles that you would find on the, on the world stage. They're, they're reproduced uh, locally. In a, in a small level. So who's the, who's the uh, Kim Jong-il of Salt Spring Island? <laughs> That's my question. Depends on which day you're talking about uh, and, and who you're talking to. Uh, everybody got their own their own nominee all right and that was arthur black and a chip off the old black is out now it's published by harbor publishing uh you may have heard me say why did why did god do this to you <laughs> that's that's sort of that may that is a random thing to say but it's uh it's actually ha half a it's a paraphrase from uh what's that movie um ooh, the name escapes me but at one point this guy says uh, look what god did to us man <laughs> Anyway, um, what? Oh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Thank you, thank you, Simon. Um, okay, so uh, one little announcement uh, before we go on. Set in the lowlands of Scotland, composer Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor. Uh, heartbreaking drama centers between Lucia and Edgardo, two lovers separated by family feuds. Lucia de Lammermoor is uh, an opera, and it's coming up to the Queen Elizabeth uh, Theatre. When Lucia's brother forces her into marriage with another man to save their family from financial ruin, madness and murder ensue, leaving three dead and ending in Donizetti's famous mad scene. Opening night is Saturday, December 4th, with subsequent performances Tuesday, December 7th, Thursday the 9th, and Saturday the 11th. So there's not a whole lot of performances. Uh, only a few chances. Performances begin at 7.30 at the Queen Elizabeth uh, Theatre. Tickets range from $23 to $184, and you can get them at VancouverOpera.ca. All right, uh, I promised some, some tickets to be given away, so I'd like to do that. This band is called... Uh, the books, and they are from New York. They are currently on tour and have been climbing up the West Coast. Uh, this is their last stop in Vancouver on uh, December 5th, I believe, at the, the Vogue Theatre. This is their last stop before going to Australia. So this is, uh, this is your last chance. So um, we're going to play a song, and um, I, guess, I guess you can call in any time the song is playing, but I thought, uh, you know, give it a chance to, uh, to hear it if you, d if you don't know these guys. But uh, after the song begins to play, you are free to call. The number will be 604-822-2487. That's 604 822 Two four, eight seven. Uh, but first up, let's hear uh, a tune from uh, the books, and this one is called uh, "A Cold." What? A cold freezing night. Cold freezing night. Oh, baby. Kill him. I wish I was a boy. Cold freezing night. Oh, baby. Ow, 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 ow. Come on, clap. Clap, clap. 
Motors. A cold freezing night. Holy cow! Why do you always get away with things? It's not fair, I tell you. It's not fair. I want to blow your brains out with. I am gonna kill you. I need so you stay alive as long as I want you to, because so I can kill you. You are such an idiot, 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 idiot. I can kill you with a rifle, a shotgun, anyone wants to. Probably by cutting your toes off and working my way up towards your brain. And that was A Cold Freezing Night by the books. Uh, congratulations to uh, Steve, who got who, uh, who uh, picked up those tickets rather quickly. Apologies to, uh, to everyone else who called. Uh, you got to be quick with your dialing fingers there. So uh, that show is on December the 5th at uh, the Vogue. And as far as I know, tickets are still available. So if you like, um, snap those up. Now, uh, we're going to take a short break now, but when we return, we'll tell you about Jade in the Coal, which is a fusion of Western theater and Cantonese opera, as well as another, uh, sorry, not another, but uh, one local band called The Inhabitants, who have a local show. So stay with us. mornings on CITR from 8 to 10 a.m. It's the Suburban Jungle Show with your radio host, DJ Jack Velvet. Thrills, chills, excitement, and music. That's the Suburban Jungle Show 
Wednesday mornings from 8 to 10 on 101.9 FM in Vancouver. You can also catch this show streaming and podcast at www.jackvelvet.net. Don't miss the Suburban Jungle Show. Wednesdays, 8 to 10, 101.9 FM, CITR. And we're back on the Arts Report. The Juno-nominated local electro-experimental band The Inhabitants were at the Artist-Run Centre Western Front a few weeks ago doing a residency in their studio there. Uh, that's where our Arts Report correspondent Elena Metz caught up with the band for an interview ahead of their December 10th gig. So uh, here's Elena talking to the band about how they came together. Uh, we found each other in the Vancouver music uh, scene, community. Um, at that time, I was in the, I don't know, we've been playing together for longer than six years, uh, but in different configurations. Uh, we met in various places, but I think uh, one of the main places was a place called the Sugar Refinery, um, which used to be around in on uh, Granville Street from the late 90s into the early 2000s, and it was a really good place for uh, music, and a lot of us played there and um, over the years. Okay. Yeah. And I read that you played first jazz music. How did you develop your style, or all of you, if someone else wants to? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, well, um, uh, I'm, the tr I'm a trumpet player, so when I, I started when I was about 12 years old and um, got into jazz, I think partially because of uh, the instrument I play and also because of influences of, uh, that I was around. My parents uh, would listen to jazz and uh, there, and, okay. you know, yeah. Do you plan any shows um, in other countries? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've um, yeah, we've been to Germany actually. Yeah, <laughs> we played at uh, the Moors Festival um, a few years ago, and near the um, yeah northwest. northwest. Yeah, it's near okay. Dusseldorf. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'd like to go back over there. It's uh, so is the audience different or? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it it was seemed very different, but I think part of that part of that was the uh, environment itself. It was a mm -hmm. festival with about 2,000 people in a sort of a, a dome, like kind of a circus, temporary circus dome. And um, people seemed excited about music in general, so the, the, the reaction was uh, kind of overwhelming in a way. It was, uh, they, they, they wouldn't stop clapping for us, and, uh, <laughs> and, they, and they were booing when, we, when they, they said we couldn't uh, play anymore, because you know, was, it was a festival, so there's band after band. So we were. We thought we were pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you just came here and played together like this, the six, f f five days. Yeah. Or this, this was a specific um, uh, idea, I guess, um, to have us come here and work on some new music. So um, uh, JP brought in a longer piece of music, and some of us brought in some some things of our own. And so we've just made it our goal to. Um, to work on um, strictly new music, focus on that, and um, record it. And record it. And so we're, you know, we're set up to record right now. I mean, we're just basically, we're not, um, we're basically just documenting things as we go, uh, so we can listen back and critique it and figure out what we might do differently. And um, and it's nice because we actually have the luxury of recording the performance tomorrow night, Friday night. 
and um, having that for the archives or whatever, and um, Saturday as well after the performance. So I think we might set up to do um, maybe a little uh, bit more of a serious recording of what we've been working on to have you know just a good document while everything is. Okay. Yeah. And what about your future plans for your band and upcoming shows you mm -hmm. have? Uh, yeah, we do actually. Friday, it's December the 10th. We're playing at the VCC uh, Auditorium. Um, and we're uh, supporting uh, uh, Alicia, Alicia Hansen, who has a CD release. And we're, we play a lot at, uh, we haven't played there in a bit actually, but at this space called uh, 1067 Granville. And uh, that's probably our home base. Uh, we play, usually play there uh, uh, a few times a year. And it's always a lot of fun. And that's Elena Metz speaking to the inhabitants who told us there that they will be playing the VCC Auditorium, which is 1155 East Broadway. And that will be on Friday, December the 10th. Tickets are $15, and uh, the band, the inhabitants, play at 8 p.m. Um, let me tell you about the European Union Film Festival. Now in its 13th year, the European Union Film Festival is underway at uh, Pacific Cinema Tech. It's hosted by the Consulate of Belgium in Vancouver, and it allows each EU country to choose a film that showcases its cultural diversity, dynamics, and accomplishments. Um, so that is uh, ongoing right now. I don't have the dates on here, but it's um, it started uh, just... Uh, last week, it started uh, last weekend and is running until I believe this this weekend. And tickets are ten fifty for a single or twelve fifty for two shows. And uh, you need to get a three dollar membership uh, with those to Pacific Cinema Tech. Uh, screens are eighteen plus, so that probably means those films are good. You can get more information at eufilmfestival.com. All right, we're going to take another short break, but uh, after the break, uh, we'll tell you about Jade in the Coal. Uh, we'll also tell you about a show, an art show called Cyrillic Typewriter. That's the one that uh, Jason Zampano is, um, is putting on. They are doing a closing night uh, show this uh, Saturday. Sorry, the, it's a showing, it's a gallery showing, but they're doing a sort of closing uh, reception party type shindig on Saturday. So we'll tell you about that. And Elena Metz, who you heard before, will bring us another uh, interview with another band called Kodiak Nightlife. So all of that is still to come, so stay with us. This just in, Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM presents Radio. Join host Teddy Smooth as he explores the chimerical, the hysterical, the phantasmagorical world of burlesque and cabaret. Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM brings you Radio. Sorry about that pause there. I swear it's not us. We're not drunk and asleep and uh, like, what, what, what button are we pressing? I don't know. Just press something. It's, uh, it's the computers. I swear it's the computers. Okay, I am having a drink or two between. But anyway, uh, back in the turn of the 20th century, Cumberland, B.C. was a bustling mining center. Many of the workers were Chinese immigrants. So many, in fact, that entertainers from China would regularly tour the west coast of Canada and the U.S. to homesick audiences uh, that were learning, earning a living on this side of the Pacific. Uh, Cumberland itself boasted not one, but two 400-seat opera houses. 
So Jade in the Cold tells the story of a Cantonese opera troupe that arrives in Cumberland to put on a show. So here's Leonard Stanga, producer with Panjaya Arts, to tell us more. In Cumberland, B.C., which is on Vancouver Island, had a really, really thriving uh, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. It's a ghost town now. It's like literally a forest now. <laughs> um, and that's sort of part of the story is uh, what happens. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it, it follows the arrival of a Cantonese opera troupe from China. Mm -hmm. um, so the story sort of begins there where the Cantonese opera troupe has arrived in this very booming Chinatown in the year 1900. Mm -hmm. um, and we are partnered with um, a professional Cantonese opera troupe from Guangzhou who mm -hmm. we brought in. So it's Canadian theater artists. Hmm. and uh, professional, really highly rated Cantonese opera artists from and, China. And I understand that, uh, that your company, Pangea uh, Arts, actually went to China to, to cast? Sure, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, in fact went twice. Um, uh, Heidi, our director and the artistic director of uh, Pangea Arts, um, uh, traveled over to China to um, do the auditions, hmm. uh, cast, and to develop a relationship with uh, the uh, you know, Cantonese opera troupe uh, they're called the, the Guangdong Cantonese Opera Academy First Troupe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's nice Chinese complicated names. Um, and, uh, and they are really like the, the number one uh, Cantonese opera troupe, uh, troupe in the world. There's a lot of Cantonese wow. opera that goes on internationally. And there's, it's sort of, I mean, Guangdong is kind of the center of, uh, of, of Cantonese opera. Mm. Um, so, uh, uh, so, yeah, so she went there and kind of developed a relationship and did the auditions. And then she actually went back uh, a second time and um, did a bit of rehearsals and did some costume mm. buys because we were, you know, we were using all like, authentic uh, Cantonese opera costumes and whatnot. So. so tell me what it looks like, um, you know, as an audience member, uh, tell me how that interaction between uh, Cantonese opera and, and live theater, how does that work? Sure. Well, um, it's, um, I mean, basically it's a play. I mean, it really mm -hmm. is a, a, a conventional Western style play, but there's a play within a play. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, as you're watching the play, you get to learn very slowly a little bit about what Cantonese opera is. So it's introduced very easily to you. So um, now that said, there, uh, what happens is that the style of the Cantonese opera and some of the, the tricks mm -hmm. begin to creep into our standard westernized naturalistic theater. Right. So that, um, I mean, it's not, it doesn't go completely bananas, but you begin to see at certain <laughs> points, you go, oh, dude, this is a little trick from the Cantonese opera. Right. Hopefully and, on purpose. And not oh, definitely. Like a, well, an infectious well, kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's not by mistake. Yeah. It's it's partly that um, that uh, Heidi, our director, is re interested in that, and it's uh, slightly thematic. But also, we have these fantastically skilled Cantonese opera performers mm. that have all these great tricks. Um, I'll give you a good example. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a ghost story. So uh, the. Chinese miners, there's been a terrible explosion sort of a year before um, the, the story takes place, and mm -hmm. so the arrival of this Cantonese opera troupe, the, the ghosts begin to get restless, and one of the characters gets possessed. Mm -hmm. So, and again, this is in the, the Western naturalistic world, and he gets possessed, and then he, uh, mm -hmm. is, they bring him up, and he's laying down, and he's sort of in a coma, and when he wakes up, and he's possessed by these ghosts, well, I mean, the guy that's doing it is this amazing Cantonese opera artist, so mm -hmm. he immediately does a whole bunch of, like, flips and turns with the leg kicks, and jumps up on a table, and does, like, an astonishing backwards flip off mm -hmm. of the table uh, I mean and it's just it just stops you in your tracks you, you know your jaw kind mm -hmm. of drops so that's what I mean is that there's little little bits and it's got right. to do with the skills of the performers but that's a, yeah. a real classic Cantonese opera move that he's doing there um, so okay. uh, so that you know that kind of thing now as someone who doesn't know Cantonese opera very very well I'm guessing there's an there's an acrobatic <laughs> element can you give me a sense of what, what's Cantonese opera like compared to uh, Western opera sure sure well you know they call it Cantonese opera and that's the English translation but it, in a way it's Cantonese Cantonese theater, it's Chinese theater. Um, so there is singing, definitely. A, a big part of it is singing. Um, but I think at a certain point, somebody made the translation because they heard the singing and they went, oh, it's like opera, but it's much, much more than opera. I see. It's um, a, a, a wide 
range of skills and it's actually very closely related to martial arts I mean the, the performance style is lots of kicks and throws and there's lots of uh, martial scenes with sword fights and this kind of thing and and uh, bright brightly colored costumes and uh, I mean one of the one of the main ideas um, in Cantonese opera is it's theater but it's more about the skill of the performer than about mm. the narrative now they, they tend to follow traditional narratives and they have their uh, traditional stories of uh, princes and emperors and empresses and, uh, and honor and, and well and ghosts yeah. sure yeah. exactly and um, uh, so but that said uh, a lot of the uh, what the audiences appreciate have to do with appreciating the skill of the performer and everything is about the beauty of, of what they're doing and uh, and less in Western theater it's kind of like well, what happens in the plot and this right, kind of right. thing right um so we've combined the two so we have a story we have kind of a an overarching uh, narrative and then within that um, I, I mean a big part of one of our goals is Panjaya arts i mean we're an intercultural theater so mm. we want to fuse uh canadian theater with other forms of theater and, and a big part of the goal of that is to get people to walk out of the theater going oh that's what cantonese opera yeah. is and and to appreciate something that they otherwise really wouldn't be uh, able to appreciate like there's a really strong Cantonese opera um, community in Vancouver, <laughs> which a lot of people that aren't Chinese don't know about. Right. Um, and it's kind of a closed door for mm -hmm. Westerners. Uh, e even if you do happen to go see a show, you're going to watch it and you're going to go, oh, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> because they're not likely to present the, um, the titles in English. They're likely to put them in Mandarin. Um, so we very conveniently put them in both Mandarin and English. Okay. And, and it's actually performed in both Cantonese uh, and English. So mm -hmm. you'll always be able to follow what's going on. Great. Yeah, so that's, and it's been successful. People are walking into the theater and going, I love Cantonese opera, which mm. just gives me a great feeling because that's kind of what we set out to do. Great. You know, yeah. So All right, well, the, thanks for coming in and telling us about it. Well, I really appreciate the time. I, I hope people can get out and, and see it. It goes until the Saturday. And that's Leonard Stanga, the producer with Pangea Arts. Um, and that's Jade in the Coal, which is running until December the 4th. It begins at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are $35 regular, $22 for seniors, and for students, it's 15 bucks. And this is playing at the Frederick Wood Theatre at UBC. If you want more information, you can go to jadeinthecoal.com or just go to citr.ca, where uh, the December 1st blog Post uh, for the Arts Report has all the links and uh, ticket information uh, for all the uh, segments that we have on today's show. So it's a good place to go. It's also a great place to go to um, subscribe to our Twitter feed as well as sign up for the podcast so that each show, each Arts Report uh, goes into your inbox every week automatically. Um, I'm looking in front of me at the latest issue of Discorder magazine which is uh, that magazine from CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Jan-sember edition, which means it's for December and January. On the cover, uh, there's, well, there is a feature um, interview with Os Mutantes, the famous Brazilian band. Um, and inside, there's a, there's a big sort of year-end focus. So there's, there's sort of a guide to the best uh, local music. In Vancouver, which is great if you, you know, if you're new to Vancouver or you just want to get more into music, this is a great way to sort of get uh, a primer on what are the best local bands in Vancouver and uh, which one is, which one is number one. So you can find that here, and there's a little write-ups about why each band is great, and it's also a sort of double issue with Vancouver is awesome. 
the folks at Vancouver is Awesome, which is normally a website, uh, they've teamed up with Discorder to uh, actually print uh, one of their magazine, and it's uh, it's lovely. They they have a huge book feature uh, in this edition on Adventures in Solitude, which is by Gla- Grant Lawrence. Grant Lawrence. Um, yeah, a huge feature on the book, as well as uh, there's some really tasty recipes like Rain City Risotto and the Grouse Grind, which is some sort of chicken dish, and um, and another book review on Charlie Demers, and it goes on and on. There's a lot of great stuff. So check out the latest issue of Disc Order. It's all over Vancouver, certainly all over UBC, and, uh, and it's great. So check it out. Okay, uh, next we've got Cyrillic Typewriter. Jason Zampano is a self-taught pianist, which is pretty amazing, who, apart from piano composition, has been involved in various musical ensembles, including Zampano, Destroyer, Sparrow, Lossal, and Attics and Cellars. He's currently presenting a show at Vivo Media Arts Center called Cyrillic Typewriter. No, it's not an art show devoted to old Russian typing machines. Rather, the titles are reference to Jason's relationship with his main instrument, the keyboard, and how it's both familiar and foreign at the same time. Like a Cyrillic typewriter. Eh? Art support correspo- correspondent Sarah Lapsley reached Jason by phone to talk about the closing night show, which will feature Jason spinning vinyl. Here it is. So I'm here with Jason Zampano. And you were originally in the sub-pop band Zampano as the drummer in the 90s. Is that the 90s? Well, I'm pretty like sure. The 70s or the 60s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With Carl from the New Pornographers. And then you taught yourself piano and transformed into an accomplished pianist and singer-songwriter. Wow, that sounds so nice. Yeah, well, you are. And so then Sparrow was the first project that you did as a piano player. Is that right? That's actually not true. The instrumental stuff actually came first. Okay. But while that was happening, I was asked, I befriended Dan Behar and joined Destroyer when I was just learning how to play piano. Okay. So technically, my first composition is on Thief. Oh, really? I was still teaching myself how to play piano back then. Right. So I guess I was learning on rock songs and then decided I should probably, you know. And anyway, I I had my solo act called The Sparrow, which was just solo piano. Okay. And then Sparrow after that. Okay, and then you changed it to Addicts and Cellars. Yeah, it was a different lineup, but yeah. Okay, and you've done a lot of instrumentation with uh, violins and stand-up bass. Okay, and now you're um, recording under your own name, Jason Zampano, Mm -hmm. is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) But we're here today to talk about something a little different that you've done recently, and that's an art installation Mm -hmm. at the um, Vivo Media Arts Center on Main Street. Right. So can you tell me a little bit about the project? Well, it's quite simple. Um, well, I was approached to do a show based on three CDs I had released with a label called Catbird, out of Manhattan, although he's recently moved to Berkeley, but yes, that's where he was then. And they come with little art prints, and one of the curators, or maybe the curator's assistant, anyway, uh, she liked them so much that she approached me and said she wanted to do a show based on it, but of course it's just music. I mean, there are prints and stuff, but maybe an, a visual angle, you know, an aspect to it. So I talked to Shane, who did the artwork for the second CD, and agreed to do animation to music I would present to him. So the idea is the music comes first. So instead of me doing music to someone's movie or animation or whatever, I would give him the music and see what he could come up with. 
sort of, I guess, sort of flipping it. Right. So you gave him your recordings, and then when you say animation, you mean like a little video? Yeah. Or? So there's, a, there's at Vivo right now until Saturday. There are uh, three monitors set up with like three to four minute, or maybe two to four minute uh, loops, just little shorts he made. So my say I gave him a song that was four minutes, so it would be a four minute animation that just keeps looping over and over and over. And that's it, really. Oh, that sounds great. And so oh, what really nice. Yeah, he did a great job. So he lives in Toronto. He's originally from Vancouver. Yeah, I didn't actually even know he was in Toronto when I asked him. <laughs> I thought he was living on Quadra Island, but I guess he had to suddenly move to Toronto. But, right. you know, it, it was fine. It didn't make it any more difficult. And does, is his work kind of, like, psychedelic, kind of? Hmm, I don't know if I'd call it psychedelic. I, I don't know what I'd call it. It's, uh, it's, sort of, it's very cartoony, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, you know, juvenile or anything like that. It's definitely not. I guess it's partly psychedelic. Maybe it's psychedelia that I don't understand. I'm not really sure. Wow. It's, it's, it's a bit weird. But, you know, it has, like, bees in it and an espresso machine, like, flying through space. <laughs> Right. You know, I, so I guess, yeah, I guess it is kind of psychedelic. Yeah, he's kind of a creative thinker. He's and, out there, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And you've done collaborations with artists before. I know that a uh, local artist, Jason McLean, did some of the artwork on... Right, for the first CD, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did, the first, he did the first CD, which actually wasn't even going to be released. It was just an art trade. So I was going to present him with, you know, or give him, rather, 12 songs, and he was going to do a couple pictures for me. And then, you know, of course, I like the music so much, I talked him into letting me release it. And then I got in contact with that label, who seemed to like it, and they did really nice prints of it. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so the in Vivo, or sorry, the Vivo Media Arts show has been on since November nineteenth, and the right. closing reception is this Saturday, November fourth, from right. twelve to six. They're having a music bazaar. You know what? It's, they should just change the time. It is now from two to nine, I believe. Okay, two to nine, and you can mm. see the installation, and yes. it's called Cyrillic Typewriter. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you're spinning records at four o'clock. Yes. So the happy uh, hour. I didn't want to do a performance, <laughs> and so they talked me into spinning some records instead, which I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with. I've never done that before, but you know, I have a lot of records. So, can you give us a taste of what you might play <laughs> at happy hour? Uh, I'm not going to say too much, but you know, there'll be a little uh, piano music, maybe a little '80s rock, a little '70s rock. I mean, I was going to do it all piano stuff. I didn't really think it was going to be a, a party. Mm -hmm. But now it seems like it's going to be a party, so there probably some, should be something, you know, that everyone might enjoy, so to speak. Sounds so I wonderful. I really dig deep. And that's Jason Zampano talking to Sarah Lapsley, our correspondent. So, uh, Saturday is the last day that you can see Cyrillic Typewriter, and that's at Vivo Media Arts, which is 1965 Main Street. And uh, this will be going on from 2 until 9 p.m. on Saturday, but you can check it out uh, Wednesday through... Yeah, from today onwards. From today until the end of the show, you can catch... Um, you can have a look at the, the exhibit, if I can call it that, from 12 until 5 p.m. So every day until 12, from 12 until 5, and then on Saturday, it'll be from 2 until 9 p.m. And as you ha heard there, at 4 p.m., uh, Jason will be spinning. So, uh, so check that out if you get a chance. Yeah, that's, uh, what are they calling that? Ha the happy hour, the 4 p.m. happy hour. Okay, and uh, another brief, uh, brief little announcement. This one's for Let's Get Horny. <laughs> December 5th, 2010, it's Let's Get Horny in the, twi in, 
in the in the house festival's tribute to the uh, brassier elements of life with performances by the Cascade Brass Quintet and the New Orleans Ale Stars. It's a night of trumpets, French horns, trombones, and everything horn. E. Brass bands playing J.S. Bach to Duke Ellington to John Williams and everything in between. Doors at 6.15. Show is at 7. And this is taking place at 1524 Victoria Drive. 1524 Victoria Drive. Tickets are 18 bucks for adults and $13 for members and kids. Reservations can be made by emailing info at inthehousefestival.com or just go to inthehousefestival.com and, uh, and get all the information that you need. All right, so we're going to take one more uh, little breaky break, and when we return, we'll tell you about uh, the band Kodiak Nightlife. This is another one that Elena Metz has brought to us, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up the show, so stay with us. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. And we're back on the Arts Report for one more segment uh, before we wrap up. Rock band Kodiak Nightlife played at 30 Live at the Forum a few weeks ago, and our Elena Metz went down to talk to them about their quest for a new sound. First, Elena asked them how they came up with the name Kodiak Nightlife. The Kodiak Nightlife? Um, yeah, so we were trying to figure out a name for a few weeks, and um, it took a long time, but Brad just actually came up with it. I don't know why he chose the Kodiak Nightlife, but for me, I love bears, and that works for me. So, Brad, I don't know. Why did you choose the name, I don't really remember choosing the name. Just, just kidding. But... No, we actually had a list of a bunch of names, and we all liked uh, Kodiak and then Nightlife, and then I guess we put it together, and now it's Kodiak Nightlife. Sounds great. Um, on your website, you said we want to change what people think is cool. What do you want to change? Well, basically, just we're tired of the mainstream sort of like top 40 pop stuff. Well, not all of it, but a lot of it. So we want music to be more widely accepted. Okay. So, is that what you were looking for? <laughs> okay. And what brought your band together? Uh, basically, Jason was doing a solo project, and my old band had recently fallen apart, so the two of us were looking to put a band together, and we knew Jackie, and Jackie knew Brad, and it just kind of came together nicely like that. Okay. Where do you, where, where do you see your band in, like, five years? Five years. Hopefully, in five years, we'll still be together. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know, like, uh, we'd, we'd love to have a couple albums, perhaps, maybe potentially on some sort of record label, indie or, or not indie, like major, either one. We want to have our own record label, and we want to have many artists sign underneath us. <laughs> And have, we want to we want to tour actually. I think that's the biggest thing. That's where a lot of bands get their cred. It's just from touring. And uh, I don't. One thing about our band I think is unique is that we're all really different. I come from an acoustic kind of folk background. Nick's got a band, rock band. Brad was a drummer in a hardcore screamo type band. 
And uh, Jackie's just done a bunch of vocal work and uh, different projects with other people. So we've got a lot of different influences, and um, we're trying to put them all together. But sometimes it's a little tense because we are pretty different. But uh, I don't know. I think that the, tense, the tension comes out in the music, and uh, I don't know how to listen to it and figure that out. So, yeah. Thank you. And there you have it. That's Elena Metz speaking to Kodiak Nightlife, apparently at a Kings of Leon concert with uh, Sex on Fire playing uh, obnoxiously in the background. Apologies for the noise there, but uh, good interview nevertheless, I thought. Uh, Kodiak Nightlife played uh, last night at The Cellar and will be at the Media Club on December 11th. Um, they'll also be back at the Forum as part of the local music series known by the name of 30 Live, and that will be in January. So uh, here is a track from their MySpace page, and this one is called Jericho by Kodiak Nightlife.
All right. And the, whoa, something's playing. What is that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that. Sorry about that. That's Kodiak Nightlife with Jericho and uh, three frightened seconds of uh, what is that song there? Focused. Focused. Um, okay. So uh, speaking of, I said that they'll be playing a 30 live show in January. Speaking of uh, of 30 live, this is a this is a local music series that focuses on on Vancouver bands, uh, often unsigned, and uh, and finding new talent. And they they run every Thursday at the Forum, which is on Granville Street. You may have not heard of the Forum because it's only been around um, this year. I think it opened for the Olympics, so it's a brand new uh, venue, and they're working hard to promote local music, which is really great. And uh, so this. Thursday's tomorrow's show is going to feature The Chase, Cruel Young Heart, and Like Animals again. And on December 16th, they're going to feature Free City Collective and Aardvark Robinson. And Aardvark Robinson is a band that we interviewed, um, and we will uh, have an interview with them for you. I think on next week's show, so that's exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, and also if you check out, here's a multi-meta plug. I was talking about Discorder before. The right on the flap, right on the inside cover, is uh, a list of all the shows at Thirty Live, um, all the bands that Thirty Live will be promoting in December and January. So another good reason to check out Discorder magazine. Um, and I'll tell you one little more announcement. This one's for something called Extra Extra. The Fire Hall Arts Center presents Extra Extra, Wednesday, December 1st through Saturday, December the 4th. Ten dancers take the stage in this fast-paced, full-length work, struggling with living in a world where politics, war, sports, and advertising are the stuff that fill our lives. With images and real photography coloring the stage and pulsing choreography, Extra Extra is a reflection and fracture of our perceptions of our evolved contemporary lives. Mm, that's a good description. At the door, tickets are $27 for adults and $23 for students and seniors on Wednesday and Thursday, and $29 for students and $25 for students and seniors on Friday and Saturday. You can get more information on the show and get tickets, uh, advance tickets, at www.firehallartscenter.ca. That's www.firehallartscenter.ca. All right, well, that's the end of our show for today. Next week, uh, t that is to say, yeah, next week we'll have a feature on Brief Encounter, which is coming to the Vancouver Playhouse. And uh, I'll be checking out that show tomorrow, So, uh, and we'll have a feature interview on that on uh, next week's show. 